You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 42 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast, the show for February 2017, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today, I have a panel that is small in number, but high in quality. Uh, first off, from the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, we're joined again by the tech doctor, Dr. Robert Carter. Hi, Robert. Hi, Bart. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm always glad when I can go to Dublin. <laughs> Even if it's just virtually o- over the magic of Skype. Exactly. Well, I have uh, the Irish are taking over this show, so we have uh, a first-time Let's Talk Apple uh, contributor. We have Dermot Daly from Tapadu, who has also got an Irish accent. Hi, Dermot, and welcome to the show. Hi, Bert. Thanks for having me. So uh, the listeners obviously wouldn't have met you here on the show before, since it's your first time. So do you just want to briefly say, so Tapadu, what's that got to do with Max? Okay, so um, Tapadu is a company I set up back in 2009, um, initially as an iOS development company. Uh, we now obviously do iOS and Android because back then Android wasn't so big. So we do iOS and Mac development. Um, and I guess the other thing that uh, some people would know me for is I co-founded the conference here in Ireland called OOL. OOL is the Irish word for Apple, for those of you outside of the outside of Ireland. Um, which I've been involved with for the past five years. Um, I've just stepped down from that, in fact, uh, but it is continuing without me. But um, it seems to be reasonably well-known among iOS and Mac developers and designers. Well, certainly if you listen to any podcasts from any of the people in John Gruber's circle of friends, you know all about Google because th- those guys just adore the conference. Yeah, we had John. Uh, John spoke at it three times, um, and in fact, you know, we got John into the very first one, which was quite a coup. I mean, we were absolute nobodies and kind of approached him out of the blue, um, and that that was that was a great, um, a, you know, a great guest to have on on an unknown conference back then. But then that, of course, opens doors to people who know John and people who write John. So um, we've, we've had some great guests. We've had Jason Snell from, from Six Colors. We've had uh, the entire iMore team over and so on. So, you know, plenty of people who your listeners would, would read and know very yeah. well. I guess it's always nice, actually, when you're offering people the chance to come to Ireland as a business expense, that, that tends to go down well. Absolutely. It, it's, it, it Without a doubt, part of the um, part of the sales pitch to speakers was always, "Hey, have you ever come to Ireland?" And in fact, when when we did Ool, the very first one in 2012, you know, between us, the conversation was, "We want to bring some of these people to our city." And we, uh, at the time, we very much thought of Ool as being uh, Dublin being a backdrop to to the conference itself. Now, over the years, that it's got uh, it's got larger, and we ended up taking it into a hotel for an entire weekend or for an entire few days so the last two were down the Europe in Kerry and it's just a stunning hotel and stunning location and um, it it really does add to the sellability if you like of the conference yeah cool well as I say, hopefully the conference continues to do well e- even without your your guiding hand here's hoping absolutely 
Right. Well, before we get stuck into news from this month, um, I just a few little follow-up stories of stuff that's been ongoing from previous months. Um, so we've talked a few times about the issues with iPhone 6 and 6S's randomly shutting down when they shouldn't. Um, I've experienced it a few times. Sort of, you know, it happens to me three or four times a year with my iPhone 6S, I think I have. Um and, you know, you might be at like 30% battery and all of a sudden the phone will just go, Apple logo comes up, down it goes. And if you try to power it back on, it says, oh, no, 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 connect me to iTunes. It's extremely annoying. Uh, but back in December, Apple told us they were putting extra monitoring into iOS 10.2, which would basically send Apple more battery diagnostics so they could get a better notion of why the phones were doing this. And then a few weeks ago, about a month ago now at this stage, Apple released iOS 10.2.1. And at the time, they didn't say much about it. Uh, but we now know, they've now come back and told us that they had put some code in there intended to reduce the number of these unexpected shutdowns. And their monitoring has now shown that that intention has worked out. And they're seeing something like an 80-odd percent reduction in unexpected shutdowns for people with iPhone 6 and 6Ss who have updated to 10.2.1. I haven't had the issue happen since updating, but then again, it only happens to me every couple of months, so that's not really much of a tell. Anyone else on the panel have a a 6 or 6S? I'm afraid I'm going to the 7. I I hope to join you there soon. Well, whatever they call the next one. We we do tend to update our phones every month, but um, we certainly do have sixes and six S's in the office, and we certainly were seeing this uh, this phenomenon. Although I have to say, the person who was seeing it the most had a tendency to keep changing the date on their phone, and it was something got to do with getting more levels in Bejeweled or one of oh, these geez. games. So, so <laughs> <laughs> I sus I suspect. Um, some of the some of the code in there probably tried to predict battery life based on a time function of some sort and right. and mess up your time could could probably make that worse so who knows confuse yeah that would really confuse the poor battery monitor trying to yeah trying to manage your battery it's like what it was yes no it was that day before how can it be that day again <laughs> anyway I'm really pleased to see Apple uh, do something like this where they use the the power of so many users to really gather some data and make some changes. Because I know at first when people were talking about the battery problem, at least one or two people I was aware of took their phones back to stores and didn't get a great response. Yeah. They kinda, Apple kind of said, yeah, everything's fine with your phone. But now it seems like a little bit of a different story. So it's a cool thing they did, I think. Yeah, they probably should have come to it a bit quicker because there were a lot of people who were charged for battery replacements and stuff. So I hope Apple set those people right. Um, But yeah, they've arrived at a good place, but I'm not sure we can... I'm certainly not going to be too quick to give them too much credit for how long it took them to get to this good place. Yeah, it did take too long. Uh, another story that's been dragging on for months and months and months, and I think is going to drag on for many more, is Apple Pay in Australia. Um... The Australian banks would like to all band together and negotiate with Apple as a block. Apple would very much like to negotiate with each bank one-on-one. And uh, the Australian regulator of banks also wants the banks to negotiate with Apple one-on-one. Uh, and so basically they're a bit of a Mexican standoff there. And the, the, where the story stands now is that Apple basically has gotten pretty snarky and started calling them a cartel which is arguably true by the letter of the dictionary. Um, so that's all getting very aggressive. Um, and I, I don't see much progress happening there. So I guess we just need to keep watching that one. 
I think this one's very interesting because um, if you look at when Apple introduced the iPhone, it, it, it changed the business model a lot for the telco operators. And I don't know if you remember this, but before we had iPhones, we would get, um, you know, you'd you'd get your latest phone from from your Vodafone or your O2 and so on. It would have their logos all over yeah. it. It would have some of their pretty bad software pre-installed on it and so on. And they obviously had quite a lot of sway. The the, the carriers had a lot of sway with the handset operators. Yeah. And when Apple came along, it went, no, these are our customers. And they really, really turned that on its head. And obviously, you still go through a carrier, but they they really took control of the customer, I thought, or, or, or yeah. took ownership of the customer. And I think what's happening there is the banks are saying, uh, we don't want this to happen because it, it would really give, give them a place of power within the within the purchase transaction, I guess. Yeah. So uh, um, I suspect the Australian banks are just really fearful of that, but I don't see them winning this one. I, I, I think Apple will get their way here. Yeah, the losers right demanded. now are the people, you know, who who don't have access to Apple Pay. Yeah, unfortunately, we're, we're here in Ireland. We all have that problem because none of our banks have have. I don't know if that's because Apple haven't come calling because we're such a small economy, or whether our banks aren't interested. But either way, there's none of it here. I, I think what is interesting here is that Android Pay launched a few weeks ago with two banks. So, so yeah. uh, AIB in Ireland, or yeah, AIB and KBC in Ireland have launched with Android Pay. So I, I think that's an interesting uh, development in this area. It hopefully, is. Apple get there. Yeah, hopefully Apple join in. I'm hoping I bank with AIB, so I'm hoping AIB haven't committed any sort of exclusivity for Android Pay because that'll make me cranky. So. My understanding is the technology is somewhat similar, right? It's, it's, a, oh, it's yeah. about tokenization of credit cards. So, um, and and interestingly, all AIB pretty much moved all their um, transaction acquiring business to a joint venture with First Data anyway, yeah. uh, who'd be one of the major global players here. So, I my suspicion is waiting for Apple Pay in Ireland is not got to do with the banks holding out or technology either. I, I, I'd say you might be right, Bart. It's got to do with it. Apple will get to us eventually. Yeah, I mean, they, they obviously are sending negotiators country by country by country by country by country because you have to deal with every little jurisdiction. And I guess we're, we were many years down the road before we got music or we still haven't got TV shows. We have movies now. But, you know, it took a long time for Apple to come negotiating here. I'm still waiting for visual voicemail. <laughs> I think we can forget that. One. That one has been skipped. It's been disintermediated by iMessage, right? I think it's totally gone. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to ever get visual voicemail. Which is really annoying because that was one of the things I loved in the original iPhone demo 10 years ago. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay, so that's our follow-ups. Um, next, notable numbers. Uh, really just one one bit of statistics caught my eye. Uh, Gartner released their latest numbers for worldwide smartphone sales. So this is not usage, this is sales, and it's not US, this is worldwide. Uh, the numbers are both for Q4 and for 2016 overall. Um, so when you break it down by vendor for all of 2016, you get Samsung at the top of the pile with 20.5% of sales, followed by Apple with 14.4% in second place and Huawei in third place with 8.9%. So that that's, you know, Apple aren't doing badly there, but they're a fair bit off. But what gets me, that a weird number, 
is the Q4 number for exactly the same breakdown. And Apple are actually in the lead in Q4. It's 17.9% Apple and 17.8% Samsung. And again, Huawei are in the third place with 9.5. So what happened Samsung in Q4? Is it that people don't want them in there? Is it that people who get a phone for Christmas get a nice phone for Christmas? Is it? I mean, it can't be the the, the, the Note 7 because that doesn't sell in nearly big enough numbers to make these kind of impacts, can it? I, I think there's probably two things at play here, assuming I get the Q4s right, because different people call Q4 different things, right? But let's assume um, – assuming Gartner go by, go by um, calendar, right? Uh, I think – well, you've got the launch of the iPhone 7 in Q4. Right. And don't you have Samsung's horrendous um, PR battle with, with, with the exploding phone in, in, you do. in Q4 yeah. last year? You know, that must have hit their sales something really bad. So that's what I suspect is going on there in terms of the, the difference between Q4 and 2016. Yeah, it's just, but the, the thing is that the notes, the, the, the big notes are very, very small they don't sell many of them. So, sell, you know, the fact... But then again, maybe people just went off the whole brand. Maybe, maybe that is it. I think it damaged the brand an awful lot. I, I, you know, I travelled in um, in December and yeah. I, I was stunned at the amount of times the the Galaxy Note was mentioned. It was mentioned on... So I, I, I flew to Florida and it mm-hmm. was mentioned on both flights incoming and outgoing. Um, and there were signs on some of the public transports saying you're not allowed to bring a Galaxy Note 7 onto this bus. So, you, you know, it, it, it probably was a blip here, but worldwide, I think that was a massive story. And I did think I do think it damaged the brand. And of course, a new iPhone, you know, it's always going to sell in when it comes out. So, yes. And yeah, so if Q4 is the calendar, then there's also have Christmas in it and Generally speaking, when people are getting a phone as a present, they want the shiny goodness. And I think, especially this year, given the fiery hellscape, whatever we're calling the the, the Galaxy Note 7 <laughs> catastrophe, the iPhone, uh, the latest iPhone 7S or 7? No, 7, seven. yeah. You know, 7S, that's next year, if at all. Um, I mean, that was a very popular phone, particularly with the fancy pants camera. So, yeah, I guess... It's interesting, though. Yeah, I think when it when when it adds when you add all that together, you can kind of see maybe how how the the numbers would look like that. Yeah. Uh, the other breakdown then is by operating system, and really, what's notable here is that BlackBerry has gone to zero. They are on the chart as zero point zero percent. Whatever Blackberries were sold, if any, were so small they didn't break above the zero point one percent mark, which is tragic. Uh, the third place is Windows Phone, which sounds, oh, third place, that sounds good for Microsoft. 0.3% is what they have in third place, which tells you that the second place is Apple at 17.9, and Android worldwide is at 81.7. Now, that I, that doesn't surprise me, because worldwide, that means we're counting all of the non-high-end phones in that space Apple don't compete in at all, the sort of the, the, the cheapy Android phones, that's all of Androids. But it's still 81.7% that's an awful lot of phones running the Android OS. It's kind of jarring, isn't it? Yeah. To see third place at 0.3 is, is, is shocking, though. I mean, Microsoft had a 
Like Windows Phone OS wasn't that bad conceptually, right? I mean, I don't know what other people thought of it, but I thought it actually looked genuinely different to, to, to the other stuff out there, and it looked genuinely interesting, particularly with some of the Nokia hardware. Yeah, we, we every now and then, we sometimes in Tapadu will take, you know, I'll, I'll take on a different phone as a, as a little challenge. And I've always said I would have taken a Windows phone before I'd take an Android phone. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I'd still say that. I mean, the, the latest versions of Android uh, of Android has got really, really good, and is actually quite nice. But but I totally agree what you say about it is that Windows wasn't trying to look like iOS. Yeah. And I, I always thought the early versions of Android really were trying to look like iOS. But um, I'm sure you'll get some people respond to that. But um, but Windows tried to be different. Um, but I wonder, I wonder, is there room for three players here at all? Like, you know, if you go back to the PC market, there, there. If you if you went and looked at it now, in fact, you'd probably find that Windows, Mac, and Linux would probably come to similar types of levels, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Um, and Linux is still kind of only popular among, I, I guess, uh, tech savvy people, right? So. Um, you know, is is there room for three players when it's when you're talking about something like um, operating systems? I'm not convinced there is room for three. Well, in the days before the web, I would agree with you. It's always gonna, it's always, it's always, you know, it's always going to get down to a two-player game, just because the smaller ones just can't get traction because they can't get apps and stuff. But in the internet age, I thought there was room for more. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, certainly. Microsoft have not been able to pull it off. Whether whether it's possible, but they certainly haven't done it. Well, in in our eight years of writing apps, um, we have nobody's actually gone and said, "Yes, we will pay you to write you a Windows version of this." So right. plenty of people come to us to iOS and Android. The odd time people ask about Microsoft, but nobody has ever said, and we're willing to invest in it ever. So they ask you. Yeah, the I was talking to someone who had a Windows phone, and what he was saying was that he liked the phone a lot, but there were no apps for it. Yeah. I mean, at some stage, a couple of months back, Microsoft were talking about paying people to write apps. So instead of, you know, so Microsoft would pay someone like Evernote or whatever to write an app and that kind of thing. I mean, that that's getting pretty desperate. Look, when, when if you go back to when um, Nokia were pushing um, their Windows phones back, you know, before they got taken over by Microsoft, um, any Irish app that you saw in the store, Nokia and or Microsoft had had some part in doing that, in funding that. Yeah, they and, made and that's it the so way easy. it was. Yeah, they they absolutely made it so, and uh, you know. Uh, that's no secret. I mean, any app developer who were knocking around those those uh, couple of years were being approached. We were approached, you know, and all our competitors were approached. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever they were at, it didn't work. So, uh, yeah, it is really, uh, in terms of raw amounts of OS, Android is well ahead. In terms of profit, iOS is well ahead. I guess that probably means they're both stable. Yeah, I saw a great, great quote, and I, I 
I think it might have been in on Daring Fireball one day, and it was by some measure somebody is always winning. <laughs> you know, there's there's always different ways to skew this and and look at these. So even if you talk about, um, say say we talked about 2016 and say Samsung are outselling Apple. Yep. Samsung sell everything from hundred dollar low end Android phones to phones that compete with the iPhone Seven Plus. Yeah. So you know, and and Apple, I guess their range goes down to, I guess you know what what they call an entry an entry level is still a luxury phone. So yeah, the SE yeah. or whatever, you know, that's still a luxury phone. So you know, it, it, you know, if you, if you were to start to compare, say, the SE with a Galaxy Six and above, you'd probably see that Apple were doing better. And, and so, so what I mean is, yeah. there's always different ways to look at these figures. Yeah, the thing is, anyone who has a chance in the market can find a metric by which they're in the lead. And so Apple can say, well, we sell the most high-end phones, and no one can argue with that because they do. We make the most profit. No one can argue with that because they do. Uh, The Android people can say, yeah, but Android has way more market share, which it does. But what can Microsoft say? Nothing. You can't find a metric. Come by Windows. (laughs) No, they can't. Absolutely. (laughs) No, no, no. Which which is terrible. Anyway. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so we are in a two. Whether whether or not we we believe we would end up in a two OS world, we are. So everyone who predicted that has been proved right, I guess. Yeah. Uh, moving on to legal latest. Um, I always I never enjoy this bit, but we need to cover it. So first thing is Apple have extended their war against Qualcomm. Uh, they have filed suit in the United Kingdom to add to their suits in America and Korea. So this. This is a serious battle here against Qualcomm. There's regulators involved. Apple are involved in multiple jurisdictions. It is not going well for them. Uh, or, well, I don't know how well it'll go, but it's certainly a big fight. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we just need to watch this one develop. It'll, it's going to take a while before we start getting judgments, so it's, it's going to be in build-up stage for quite a while. Uh, meanwhile, Apple have succeeded in overturning a verdict against them from SmartFlash LLC, who had won a fairly substantial victory. Uh, $533 million is a fairly nice verdict to get. Uh, Apple appealed, and a three-judge panel threw it out because they said that all three of the patents involved were invalid due to being overly abstract. They had basically patented the notion of having data. This is sort of, I'm, you know, I'm simplifying a little bit, but if you look at the diagrams, it's basically a system for managing data on the internet, which is just spectacularly broad, and that's what the courts came down and agreed. Yeah, too broad, invalid. So that, I think that's an important win for Apple, and it's nice to see some of the dumb patents fall eventually. Agreed. Your patents is just a mess. Patents and software is just a mess. I imagine that that impacts you quite a bit, uh, Dermot. Um, we, you know, we we don't. What you'll find is that um, when you go to develop an app, if you're working with a large company, they'll send their legal departments terms and conditions, mm-hmm. and they nearly always try and say, um, at the end of all this, we owned all. Pay, uh, all intellectual property, which is kind of the deal we do with our customers anyway. Yeah. And then they also say, "Well, you're gonna you're going to um, basically underwrite that you know you're not going to infringe any patents, you know." And we say, "Well, hold on, you can have one or the other. 
like yeah. the, the the reality of this is it, it's almost like saying you know we want the baby until the baby gets noisy and can't sleep at night in which case you can have it back you know? <laughs> either it's your ip or it's not <laughs> yeah exactly so um so but the reality of software patents is uh, i i think it's hard to write hello world without actually you know infringing on somebody's you know patent from the 50s and 60s and so on so um it, it it doesn't really affect us day to day. We you know we've never ended up in a patent spat. We write all our code from scratch, or we use third party, um, third party components and and uh, you know and, and yeah. kind of honor honor the license. You know, um, but in but, Europe we don't have the concept of a software a software idea patent. Thankfully, yeah, no, it was. It, but they tried very hard about five or six years back, right? They and, did, and, and it was annoyingly an Irish commissioner in the EU trying to push it through. Can't remember which of our politicians it was, but it was definitely an yeah. Irish person. Uh, and at the time, Richard Stallman came and did a did a um, a European tour to try and you know pass the message out, you know that that we shouldn't do this. But it, it seemed we it seemed to have, we we seem to have won, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and that idea, touch wood, touch all the wood I can find. That idea seems to be dead at the moment in Europe. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um. Another then story which I should, which I think we should mention. Uh, we'll have to see how it all pans out. But Samsung are in a spot-o legal bother in the sense that their head honcho Lee Jae Young has been indicted on bribery and embezzlement charges in South Korea. There, the, there seems to be a massive crackdown going on on fairly corrupty-looking relationships between high government officials and large family-run conglomerates that sort of run the place. And they seem to be cleaning house there. And I imagine there's going to be a lot of fallout and a lot of scandal coming out of this. So I think it's probably just one to keep an eye on as, as it develops more than anything else. I, d- I don't know if anyone has any anything further to add to that. Not a great time for Samsung at the moment. They are not having a very good, a good go of it right no, now. No, between stuff catching fire and people being arrested and yeah, not, not good. Okay, so that brings us on to our main stories. Now, actually, it's been a funny news week because normally I have I have trouble limiting, figuring out which of the news stories to give the the rank of main story, and I end up have you know draw, having to draw a line after five. Well, I had terrible trouble the other way this month trying to find stories to promote up to being main story. So we've actually ended up with three, and some of them probably wouldn't be in another month. So it's been it's been an odd month. And the first so-called main story is actually a couple of stories I've mushed together because they are related. Um, But we had two instances this month when the internet sort of lost its mind a little bit about the concept of Apple moving to new connectors. So early on in the month, the internet went completely potty because Apple added some new wording to their uh, Apple certified stuff, allowing the use of a new connector. So this is... uh, it's it's part of the USB spec, but it's not one of the common ones. It's an ultra-small USB port, which I've only ever seen on my Nikon cameras, and apparently some other camera manufacturers use it too. It's a tiny little awkward sort of a port, really horrible thing. Uh, but of course, you weren't allowed to make accessories that were certified by Apple that used this connector until this month when Apple said, okay, fine, that's on the list of allowed connectors. So if you wanted to make some sort of hardware to physically interface your iPhone with a Nikon camera, you needed Apple to add this port. And so Apple did, and that should have been the end of that. But the internet lost its collective mind because they seemed to think this somehow meant that Apple was pushing this new port rather than simply saying, oh, all right, if you must. 
Um, so if, if anyone was worried, that's certainly nothing to worry about. And I can't see any possible reason to criticize Apple for, for doing this. It just seems like a really sensible thing to do. And anyone see it differently? Well, I think you hit that nail on the head. I mean, they added an ability to interface with another port. Come on. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> there's no story there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it should be a good news story. Well done, Apple. You know, allowing yeah. us to connect more things to our iPhones. But no, instead, the sky is falling and, the, and we are doomed. So the second sky is falling story then came from the Wall Street Journal. Um, and there, there is a potentially interesting um, innocent interpretation of this one. But anyway, the, the, the story that broke was that the Wall Street Journal reported that Apple would switch to USB-C for iPhones this year. And that reporting met with a lot of skepticism. Uh, Ming-Chi Kuo, who's pretty good on the supply side stuff, basically came out and went, nope. All iPhones for 2017 will have Lightning rather rather than USB-C on the phone end. What they may have is USB-C on the other end of the cable. Not the phone end, on the end that goes into the power socket because then you can use the more powerful power bricks like come with the 12-inch MacBook and come with the iPad Pro. Both of those devices come with a USB-C port on the charger. And then a lightning port in, well, a lightning port into the iPad Pro and a USB-C port into the Mac. So I think actually the kernel of truth here is that it's USB-C at the charger end, which everyone misinterpreted as USB-C at the phone end. And that's maybe how you have an innocent explanation for this little kerfuffle. Yeah, I think that would be likely that that might be the case. It'll mean we all need to get new chargers to plug into the wall. I mean, I guess one will come in the box, but most of us have a lot of them hanging around the house or the office in various places. So, but it, it probably makes sense. Well, anyone who has a Mac and one of the new, I think the new MacBook Pros are USB-C charging as well. There's certainly the 12 yes, MacBook are. I have. So it's power brick actually looks a lot more like an, like a, like a, a power brick for an iPad than it does like a traditional computer power brick. And that's already USB-C. Um, so, you know, I already have such a power brick, and I think probably a lot of users will. So it's, it's probably – I don't think it will be a big deal. And yeah, I've got that. the new MacBook Pro, and, and it, its power brick is looks about the same as the old one, except it does have the USB-C connector on it, which is nice because if you need to change out your cable, you don't have to buy a new a new power brick. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of this um, – uh, a lot of the complaints that came out as the new Macs were revved were people saying – there isn't, you know, if I buy an iPhone and a new Mac, hmm. I have to also buy a cable or a connector. So yes. that literally they do not work well together right now, which does seem a little crazy. It is. But yeah. I guess I guess that's just, you know, the hardware coming out at different times of the year. It would, it would almost to me be strange if an iPhone comes out in September, October, and out of the box you can't plug it into a brand new MacBook Pro. Right, so then you end up okay. So then, imagine the situation. Then, so you buy your new iPhone. It comes with a USB-C charging block, and then obviously the cable is Lightning one and USB-C on the other end. And then you have a shiny new MacBook Pro, and it just works. Yes, which is what you want. Which is what you want, and in fact, is in my understanding of USB-C is it's bidirectional. So you could almost charge your phone off your laptop or your laptop off your phone, depending on who needed the juice. Depending on who needs it, yeah, yeah. No, I, I assume you'd do that through some sort of a software switch. I don't know. Or but, is it just um, who has the most power dumps it into the other. That'd be interesting, all right. 
Yeah, it is interesting thought. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you could do that because that that feels a bit side effecty to me. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay, that's a fair point. Yeah. So you, you you might actually get to choose when you plug it in, it pops up, which you want to do. I don't know. Um, that's not Apple style either, though. It it, it kind of it just works as the way you'd expect it to be. Um, yeah. So I'd imagine but, the bigger battery would be the one that would default to pushing power to the smaller battery. So I imagine what you would expect, sort of on a purely human level, is big device will charge little device. Yeah, yeah and, and maybe there's a way to to specifically you know explicitly do that if you know through the control panel or something should you be in those rare cases where you want to do the opposite yeah it is kind of interesting with the new macbook macbooks with usb-c you know how they're always um charging and so i this whole usb-c standard is is a little bit there are a few things to figure out. I, I just like what we're just mentioning. It's going to be interesting to see how this that all does get worked out. I think the big reason they probably, well, apart from the obvious, it will just work with the shiny new. Well, I mean, the Apple's default laptop for people is the 12 inch, and Apple's Pro laptop is the new MacBook Pro. I mean, the iPad Air is kind of an anachronism that's just around because people like them, apparently. So from Apple's point of view, all of their portables have USB C, so it makes sense from that point of view to switch to USB C. But for sure, it has more power. It, it can physically carry more power, is my understanding, which means that if you want to have fast charging as a feature on the iPhone, which is something the iPhones are lacking compared to Android, then you got to go this way too. Yeah, no, I, th- I think as well the USB C standard is confusing at the moment. I, I know that, for example, um, it can carry a lot of stuff. And depending on whether your cable's good enough, it it may or may not carry that stuff. And I know there's a there's a Google engineer who who writes a blog where he um he, he was a Google engineer from the USB C team, if you know yeah. what I mean. And he writes a blog by he buys various USB cables available on Amazon and Best Buy and so on. Mm-hmm. And then he puts some true tests and explains whether they're fully compatible or not. And and there's already a massive variance in the cost and quality of the cables and what they can do. I think I I think this sounds like um a problem might in the wings for end customers. It probably does because yeah, because USB C is actually not a USB C is just the shape of connector. USB 3.1 is actually what's driving the port. And then you can run other protocols over USB 3.1. So like my 12-inch MacBook has the same physical hole as the MacBook Pro. But my 12-inch MacBook does not have Thunderbolt over that USB-C connector. Because the brains are not there. It is only USB 3.1. It's not Thunderbolt, not DisplayPort. And in fact, the not DisplayPort is particularly annoying because it makes it much harder to hook up a display to these little 12-inch MacBooks than it is to hook up a display to the MacBook Pro. Right. You've got to buy the connector. And I, I think even well, No, even the... if you buy the connector, the brain isn't in the laptop end. So you actually have to buy an active converter. Right. And I bought one. I tried, I tried to do that. And it turns out most of the active converters are pretty poor. But there's a dongle of some sort you can buy, right? That has a HDMI. It goes to HDMI, right, you right, I got you, okay. I got you, I got you. And I think there's also, is there also a thing in the MacBook Pro, the 13-inch one, that there's a USB-C on each side of it, but one does more than the other? One has more power than the other, yeah. So if you want to, if, if you need to power this something. This is confusing, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> 
Yeah, the same shape hole can now do anything, but only if the brain is available on both sides. And only if your brain knows which side to put it in right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it used to be the case that if it physically fit, it was the right thing to do. Whereas yeah. now everything physically fits into everything because it's all USB-C. But that doesn't yeah. mean it can actually do anything. So I can physically stick a, a display port monitor into my USB-C port, but on my Mac it'll do nothing whatsoever, whereas on a MacBook Pro it'll work perfectly. Yeah. It's the same physical hole, it just has different capabilities. And we're not used to that. That's, that is going to wreck our heads. And the reason we... the cables are expensive is because there's actually a little computer in each end of the cable, which is why you may end up with a bizarre situation where you go to AppleCare and they say, what cable are you using? Oh, that's not one of ours. Oh, well, that's not going to work then. And they might actually be right. Yes. Yeah, and I, I think the original DisplayPort cables had that too, didn't they? The DisplayPort cables had some a chip in either end, I think it's they did. Thunderbolt. Basically, anything Thunderbolt-based has this concept of a brain on each end. So all the Thunderbolts, which includes DisplayPort, did indeed have that, yeah. So that's sort of something that USB took over from Thunderbolt, that, that concept. Right, I get you, I get you. And we we do incidentally have a couple of um a couple of Android phones that are running USB C. Um so I, I'm I'm kinda surprised we haven't heard people saying, Oh look, isn't it great that Apple are considering catching up on Android? Uh, on, on that particular front, you know, I, I, I think there are now Google Nexus and maybe the OnePlus phones, I think, yeah. have USB C. Well it makes sense, right? Because the one the, the USB C port is so much nicer than micro USB. For, just from a human handling point of view, I always get my micro, my micro USB stuff in the wrong way around. It's bloody infuriating. It takes me three attempts to plug in a USB cable that has two sides. That should yeah. be awesome. I, I, saw, I saw a tweet that said that the, the guy who invented the USB port when he's being laid down to rest, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the coffin will go halfway down, come back up, get turned over, and then get put <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Oh, such a horrible port. Anyway, so yeah, so that's that's kind of you know our first sort of major-ish stories. All this talk about connectors, and I think people are still traumatized by the end of the thirty-port connector. People who are not tech geeks like us, which baffles me because how people were so attached to that horrible connector, I will never know. But man, did that cause a lot of storm and drang when that changed. I think, I think people did. get frustrated. They have to go out and replace all these uh, adapters, cables, connectors they have lying around in various places. And, and I, mean, I can understand that frustration in some ways, but gosh, uh, we've we've moved forward so so far with Lightning and USB C. It's just it's just so worth it. Yeah, we hear this. Look, we, we you know this story comes up every couple of years. Um, I remember. It, you know when Apple first brought out a laptop that didn't have a VGA port, and everyone mm-hmm. lost their. You know uh, when they took out FireWire, everyone lost it. When yeah. when we took out our, I'm not sure we're over the headphone jack yet. Do you know there's still plenty of people. Like I still find when people say, "Oh, you got the iPhone 7, I couldn't live without a headphone jack." I'm living perfectly well without a headphone jack, by the way. So I, I thought that right, and then I did a mental experiment to myself. I just basically went, "Okay, mentally take a note of every time you use that jack." I don't use that jack. I thought I did, but I don't. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what? What this is? Every time it's when Apple are saying uh, this port is holding back progress, we're gonna have to take a brave stance and get rid of it, and we will. We will put up with a lot of flack from people. 
but that will eventually die down and our products will be better and people will eventually be happier. Yeah. And, you know, I, I take the point it is frustrating to, to replace a load of cables and so on. Uh, frankly, you know, iPhone cables and 30-pin cables, they, they never lasted that long anyway. We that should, was always my issue. I just break them, yeah. Yeah. We'd more to complain about the fact that they broke so often, right? So um, this is a story that you will have again in two years' time over something else. Yeah, your point's a good one. That's always how Apple does things. Yeah, I mean, you know, the floppy drive, oh my God, it's the end of the world. The end of the CD drive, oh my God, it's the end of the world. Yeah, no, it's never the end of the world. And beautiful devices like the 12-inch MacBook would not be possible without Apple's complete and utter ability to say, yeah, whatever, it's gone. Sod history, we're going forward. And to me, this is not a high-end laptop. But to me, this is one of the most pleasing pieces of technology I have ever owned. And it is entirely because Apple are happy to say goodbye to old technology. And I say long may it last because I, I don't want Dell bricks. I want laptops like this. I'm with you. Yeah, I have the MacBook Pro, so I don't need one. But I long for that MacBook adorable that you have. <laughs> well, I mean, I would have thought I was a pro end user. And in some ways I am. But actually... This thing may on paper have a slow CPU and not enough RAM, but you know something with that fast SSD drive? This yoke runs really nice. I'm on to my second error. I got an error in 2011 and an error in 2013. Um, So my current go-to device is a MacBook Air 2013. I absolutely adore it. And I don't even know whether I'm going to get another laptop. There's a real danger my next laptop will be an iPad Air um with with a with a with a keyboard yeah so i i'm i was saved the decision of having to decide between a laptop and a tablet when work bought me the laptop uh, yeah. because so i technically don't own a laptop anymore work on the laptop but it's sure. you know so i have a mac uh, 12 12.9 inch um, ipad pro as my portable device that's mine and it is a very capable device it's ironically yeah. bigger than my laptop yeah, I'm not sure I like the big, big one. I think I probably would probably go with the smaller one, but I don't know. I'd have to, I, I, I'd have my, to I use it as one. a portable television as much as anything else. It's my main screen. I just carry it around the house wherever I go. Um, and so I, I had been saying for the last five years, I love the iPad. I want it bigger. I love the iPad. I want it bigger. So when they brought out a bigger one, I, I was straight in there, and I don't regret it for a second. Yeah. Um, and last week, I was away on a training course for work, and work supplied me with an iPad from work, which was uh, an Air, uh, an Air 2, I think. Um, 128 k I mean, it was a nice device. Yeah. But because I'm so used to the big one, it felt cramped. Now, sure. I, yeah. I used it and it was it was actually really good. So basically, we were on a training course. We got all the slides up front and I had um, I put them all into my Microsoft OneDrive. I used the Microsoft OneDrive app and a stylus. And I just scribbled in on the margins of all the different slides as the guy presented it. And it was actually a really good way to work. But I would have liked those extra few inches. Yeah. And the- yeah, well, I'm, st- I'm still on non-retina, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm like a caveman here. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? Stay there as long as you can, because once you go, once you move, you're never, ever, ever going. Like you, you can't go to a 12-inch MacBook, get the Retina screen, and then go back to a 13-inch Air. No, absolutely, absolutely not. I, I, I know that. In fact, when the when the latest Pros came out, I sincerely looked at them, and I genuinely felt they were overpriced. Hmm. Um, 
And then I said, right, maybe I don't need to change just yet. And here's what's likely to happen. At, at WWDC this year, they, if, if they talk about hardware, and they haven't done that for a few years, but they often say, look, we've just doubled the disk space, and now we're dropping $100 off it. And all of a sudden it goes from expensive to actually probably good value for what you're getting. Yeah. Well, so I think it might you, hold off the gym. You know? If you take into account the quality of the SSD, the price is – if you look for similar specs in terms of the full specs, so not just the size of the SSD but the quality of the SSD, it's, they're not actually technically overpriced, but they are expensive. They are expensive. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not questioning if they're overpriced. It's, it's about they are quite expensive because I wouldn't go to a 15. I don't need it. But, it, but even at a 13, when you start to add the RAM and you start to look at maybe the video – video card and so on all of a sudden you're still over three grand and it's like that's a lot of money for a computer it is yeah 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 they're not cheap but you know you do get what you pay for but i think next year when the next generation of intel stuff comes out i think you're going to find that those macbook pros really come into their own so yeah i think it's definitely worth waiting if you can thing is if you can if you find that a that a 13 inch macbook air is is enough computer for you the chances are the 12 inch macbook is more than enough computer for you Possibly so. The, w- the way I use it in work is I dock to a cinema cinema display and then I've ah. got a wireless keyboard and trackpad. Right, yeah. So that's where you're going to fall down because the port is only USB and not USB plus yeah. Thunderbolt plus display port. So, yes, you do need a pro. Yeah. Unless... Yeah, I don't doubt that I'll be envious next year when the new MacBook Pros come out with the new processors and all. But at the same time... Uh, there's always a new one about to come out, and the the one that I bought this year, I'm really happy with the performance of it. So it's not like I'm going to suddenly become unhappy the day after the next one comes out. It's always a catch-22. Well, that's it, because if, if you always want to make sure you get the latest and greatest, you're never going to buy anything ever. Uh, so the way I always look at it personally is, is this a massive upgrade from what I have right now this minute? Why, yes, it is. Well, then I'm delighted because I've gone from having to use a slow machine every day to a fast machine every day. Yeah, I doubled the RAM and doubled the, the SSD size for my 2012, and I, I really feel the difference. Yeah, uh, I think you're right, Robert. And then the other the other thing to bear in mind, of course, is um, we Macs don't suffer from this you know perennial slowdown that happens because extra rubbish software gets installed on it that you don't know where it's coming from so the amount of times family members call me up and ask me to help them with their pcs and they are just riddled with 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 basically poor software right yeah and that that has never happened to me with a mac like i say my mac is four years old now and i still use it every day and i never sit there saying why is this machine so slow and the the great thing is when you update os 10 it tends to make it a little bit quicker than it used to be which is so not my experience in the windows land yeah yeah yep I know some people who, every time a new version of the operating system comes out, they they wipe and start from scratch. I've never even done that. And I, I used to be that great. guy, but I stopped being that guy when I realized all it did was waste time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, if you go ahead and update w- with everything in place, and if it goes wrong, you're going to know it pretty quickly. And then you can wipe and start from scratch if you have to. But most of the time, you don't have to. Yeah, yeah I've never never had problems. Okay, uh, the second main story I picked is Apple's 2017 annual shareholder meeting, which was held in Apple's town hall um, for the last time. Uh, I think we'll talk in the quick stories about the fact that Apple are moving to their shiny new spaceship. Uh, so on the one hand, this is a big deal because it's when the shareholders get together with the big, the Apple bigwigs and there's usually some stuff happens. You know, there's, someone will say something interesting in the Q&A or whatever. 
Uh, but in terms of the actual formalities of the board meeting, not really very much happened this year. Uh, there were shareholder proposals to force mandatory diversity on Apple's board and senior management um, and to force Apple to reveal all organizations it donates to. And neither of those two were passed, so there were shareholder motions that failed. And the board were re-elected, and that's sort of kind of it in terms of the formalities of it. Basically, nothing to report. But after the formalities comes the Q&A. And Tim Cook is present, and therefore you have Tim Cook saying things. And Tim Cook saying things has the ability to make some news. So I've picked out three quotes that I think are worthy of talking about. Um, So the first, uh, Tim Cook said, The Mac, Watch, Services, iPad are all essential to Apple's growth. You will see us do more in the pro area. The creative community is very important to us. Which is, on the one hand music to my ears on the other hand very vague and doesn't really say very much so maybe it's a Rorschach test maybe for those tr- those of us <laughs> who still believe that Apple is going to do a new pro machine maybe maybe we're just seeing what we want to see what do you guys make of it i got to wonder about this um, the the last Mac Pro the the six grand uh, what's it looks like a bin Raiders <laughs> just yeah yeah it was absolutely gorgeous, but like they have done nothing with it. Yeah, they haven't even revved the, the processors. Nothing. Yeah, so it's a high-end machine, still at the original price, with very old tech that's supposed very to be a high-end tech. machine. It's it's bizarre. I mean, yeah, okay, they're Xeon, they're they're, they're server-grade processors and a server-grade motherboard, so they're they're not as obsolete as their age might imply, but they're still pretty darn obsolete. To me, that's embarrassing, and I just don't see how Apple could possibly feel good about that. Something's gone wrong, because I don't think that was planned, because if they planned to get rid of the product, then it would just be gone. So they're obviously keeping it in the product line because there is something coming, but something has gone wrong in in the pipeline for that product. That pipeline got blocked. Something has gone wrong there. That's just not right. don't know what, but it's wrong. I I wonder if... You know, for for many years, Apple were the underdog in the PC market, mm. and their big uh, their big appeal at the time was you would find them in design studios, in print studios, and so on. So their you know Macs were considered the best machine to do design work on, and that's the pro they're talking about, if you like. Yes. Um, yes. But but now that the that. The you know the machines are very very popular. Apple's hardware is very very popular, and they are cash cows, right? So, you know if you're if you're making a squillion dollars off your MacBook Pros, and nobody's buying, you know you 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 had a you had a punt on a, on the on the Pro desktop machine, not many people bought them. Um, your board are going to tell you, well, why are you wasting time with this? So I, I just wonder if it's just hard to make it a a, a profit and loss center that's anything more than a blip. And is that just the problem? I think there are kind of two, you know, two points about that that I'd like to dovetail on. One is that the new MacBook Pros, I would argue, will meet the needs of a lot of people who do pro-level work. Not not everyone. But the second point of that is I think the, the pros who whose needs aren't met by these new machines are very upset. They're very uh, vocal in, in their dissatisfaction. I don't blame them, but I don't know how – 
concerned for the reasons you know th- that you just said. I'm not, not just not sure how concerned Apple really is about that. Yeah. They're, they're a vocal, very small minority is the problem. Yeah. yeah, and the thing is, when Tim Cook thinks pro and think Tim Cook thinks creative, I'm not sure he's thinking about Mac Pro users. I think he's thinking about iPad Pro and Pencil users. I think he's thinking about 5K iMac users. I think he's thinking about MacBook Pro users. I think he's thinking about Final Cut users. He's thinking about Logic users. I'm not sure he's thinking about those dustbins. It's possible that he will not make the hardcore, very vocal pro users very happy, if that's what he's thinking. And the thing is, the word creative is an awful, 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 awful lot broader than people who use Mac Pros. Yes. Yeah, but even the 5K iMac doesn't seem to have got an awful lot of love since it was released. Well, it depends on who you ask, because it's got an awful lot of love from from the people who are a step below the vocal minority. (laughs) No, no, I know the I know the people who bought them love them, but what I mean is, even it wasn't revved with new hardware, or you know, it hasn't been advanced beyond the first version of it. Well, in we Apple. are expecting that in the March event, right? If the if the rumor mill is to be believed, new iMacs are in the pipe. It really does feel to me like something is that we don't know about is really zapping a lot of Apple's resources vroom, and vroom. attention. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> The, the one, the one thing, um, the one thing in this space that I think has made a bit of a splash was the thing that the the Surface Pro that Microsoft brought out, hmm. and that looks like it was appealing to that market. Yeah. It does, but then they 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 go look at it and they say, yeah, but the hardware is awfully slow, and you know, it seems like the idea really appeals, but I'm not sure Microsoft was able to deliver what they really want hardware wise. Well, the Microsofts are, are good plodders, right? Microsoft will bring something out, it will get lukewarm reception, and they will just iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate. I mean, initially, the Xbox was seen as a joke. And yeah. they just they kept their head down and just kept working on it, and it is now one of the, if not the, premier console. So, yeah, maybe that's how it'll go. Yeah, Microsoft are not going to be deterred from continuing something they believe in by the fact that everyone isn't in love with it. I got to look at one of those Surface Pros in a in a Microsoft store, hmm. um, and it is very very impressive. But it does also feel a bit like a 5K iMac that can tilt onto the onto the flat surface. You know, the, the, yeah. the, it didn't feel a million miles away from it. And the 5K iMac, incidentally, is a, is a beautiful machine. Mm-hmm. But it but it strikes me as that does need a rev as well, and that that might be the one that says, well. We've we've got rid of the we've got rid of the, the the trash can because we've been able to put new generation Intel chips into it, and now the 5K iMac will you know blow away the old Mac Pro, and they might even start to call it the Mac Pro. Who knows? Or the iMac Pro? Who knows? It's yeah. entirely plausible, right? I mean, and, and I'm sitting in front of uh, a 27 inch iMac that what came out of its Apple Care three months ago. It is going to be replaced in 2017, but I'm sitting tight because I'm yeah, convinced. Yeah, I'd be sitting tight. Yeah, I'm convinced that they're going to give me some love before this year is out, and then I'm going to swipe in straight away and upgrade this baby to something else, 27 inches and as nice as I can afford. And I think I'm going to get a very nice computer. I bet you will. Do you think it'll be called the iMac Pro? Do you think it will be the Pro machine? If they bring one out, I probably won't go that high because I don't think I need it. Yeah. But what I'm hoping that means is if they add another really, really high point, then maybe... Because right now, 
the I've always bought the middle of the line iMac. So never the very top and never the very bottom. And it used to be the case that the 20 inch was the bottom and then you had two good value 27 inch models. Yeah. Now you have two 20 inch models and the very first 27 inch is actually quite expensive. And it will be sure. nice if they push the lowest end 27 inch back down a bit in terms of price. Now I've sort of decided that I'm, I'm prepared to spend up to three grand. But that would be a grand more than I'm used to spending on my iMacs. Like, I've had iMacs for a very, very long time, and they've always been 2,000 euro, 2,000 euro, 2,000 euro. And if I want 27 inches, I'm probably going to be closer to three. Yeah, but I wonder if that's that's fair inflation in the sense that, you know, the the first 2,000 euro you, one you got was a, was was costly back then. Yeah, well, true. But the we haven't quite had were, that were, high, were, right? Uh, like inflation isn't running at 30-odd percent. No, but you're talking about three generations of iMacs, right? I'm talking about going right back to uh, G5s. I've, <laughs> yeah. I've been buying iMacs since they were G5s, and they've always been at that price point. I think my first one was 1800 but they've always been around about that price point, between 1800 2000 2400 That's sort of ballpark. Actually, yeah, I yeah, suppose you're right. was 2400 now I think about it, so not 2000 yeah, so it has it been creeping up. Moore's Law has always helped out here, right? <laughs> it has, right, yeah, because my same price point gets me way more computer every time. Anyway, yeah. um, the second quote, which made me made me smile from ear to ear, uh, this was about the iPad. So, expect us to do more where people will view it as a laptop replacement, but not a Mac replacement. The Mac does so much more. Yes, thank you. Tim thinks like Steve. I like it. I think it's right on target. They're not the same, and it don't make them be the same. And then sort of, to hammer home the point, talking about iPads and Macs becoming the one, he said, to merge these worlds, you would lose simplicity of one and the power of the other. Thank goodness. I'm glad Apple still think like this. I also think that second statement suggests, or sorry, the first statement about it being a laptop replacement, I, I think that's all about switchers, right? It's about, mm-hmm. it's about taking people from Windows yeah. I think that's what it means. Well, there's a lot of people who use full-blown PCs simply because they think that's what a computer is. And they have actually no need for a full-blown PC. They would probably, in fact, do much better with an iPad Pro or even mm-hmm. an iPad iPad. Yeah. Um, you know, it will it will surf the web, it will do email, it will do Facebook, it will do Skype, it will do all of the things they want to do, and it will not get full of viruses, it will not confuse the bejesus out of them, it will just work. I know a lot of people who will be much better off and would spend a lot less time on the phone to me if they got rid of their PC and bought an, an iPad. Okay. Um, the third story then, so we haven't mentioned... The, the orange one so far this entire episode, but I'm sorry, we've we got to go there now. Uh, the third big story is that the Trump administration decided to roll back protections that the Obama administration had put in place for transgender students. So we're talking about kids here. Um, and the tech industry very promptly and very vocally immediately raised their objections. Um, so basically at the moment... Or before the before the, the stuff was revealed, trans or repealed, trans students had a right to use the bathroom that matched their gender, rather than being forced to use the bathroom that matched their birth gender. Um, 
And the reason these protections were put in place was to deal with the fact that 78% of K-12 trans students experienced harassment, 35% experienced physical assault, and 12% experienced sexual assault. So that's obviously a genuine problem. You do not want a world where 78% of K-12 trans students are subject to harassment. Uh, so, the, you know, these rules didn't come out of nowhere, but of course now they have just been repealed. And basically it said, yeah, let the states do their own thing. Uh, so Apple's immediate response was, Apple believes everyone deserves a chance to thrive in an environment free from stigma and discrimination. We support efforts towards greater acceptance, not less. We strongly believe that transgender students should be treated as equals. We disagree with any effort to limit or rescind their rights and protections. That's pretty darn clear from Apple. So they're, they're certainly continuing to sing off the same hymn sheet. Um, I yeah, guess I'm very I, proud of Apple for this, honestly, because I think, you know, Apple's always been a bit confusing to me and it's uh, prior to Tim Cook era where it made very little or no comment about social issues. But I, I really think and, and Apple sort of did the same thing last year in a sense when they stood up to the FBI about uh, the privacy mm-hmm. issues and backdoors and all. I, I really am pleased personally that Apple is willing to 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 take the high road here and, and make this stand. This is Tim Cook's Apple, right? The, the, this is very much a difference in Tim Cook's personality versus Steve Jobs' personality. Tim Cook yeah. feels like if Tim Cook stands up for these kind of things publicly, right, well, I think Steve Jobs would have done it more back channel. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, was was wasn't Tim went on one of the um, one of the gay rights parades, or was it was it a kind of a yeah? No, he went to Pride in Mardi San Francisco. Yeah, Pride, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and and that in itself was considered unusual from for for Apple, but uh, you know they have been publishing every year their diversity statistics and so on, and I think they're, um, I I think what they have to do is they have to try and think about the the society they want and then because they're a large organization and a large employer and a large taxpayer um they they get to give their opinion i guess um and i think also what that does is to some extent by being by being a big player in the upper in the you know being a being a big corporation generally they're blazing a trail to allow other corporations to come out with similar stances um and i think that i i I think that's a great show of responsibility if you like and the thing is they tend to put their money where their mouth is so apple tend to be quite vocal on environmental issues and they are now 93% running their company on, on renewable energy so they're not just giving it lip service they're also doing it um, Apple, you know, Tim Cook says that the reason Apple is able to do what it is is because Apple have a diverse workforce where everyone is welcome. You know, if you want diversity of ideas, you need to have diversity of people and everyone should be welcome. And in, the, in Apple's campus, that's true. So because they're doing it as well as saying it, they carry some more weight than if they were just paying lip service to the cause du jour. Um, yeah, they've gained a lot of credibility with their stance toward um, making their products accessible to everyone and not only talking about it, but but as you say, also doing it. So uh, it, it's great to see see that that kind of consistency across the board with Apple. Uh, I think they have a way to go. Uh, mm-hmm. They're probably a way to go because their executive team is still heavily skewed towards rich white men, basically. Yep. But, True enough. Um, but 
but I guess I, I don't know. Rome wasn't built in a day. I, I think they're they're starting in the right places, but they they've a lot uh, a long way to go. But I think they have. Uh, I guess they they've acknowledged they've a long way to go when they write their diversity reports, and they are showing that their diversity reports are um, are are improving year on year. Um, interesting sidebar there. Um, there's a developer I know who's um, out in out in Melbourne. Mm. Uh, he's actually originally from Scotland, um, who has a disability. And when when the diversity, the first time the diversity stats were um, were released, he tweeted at Tim saying, "Great start, uh, but you've no mention of disability in there." And uh, to Tim Cook's credit, he responded to the tweet. Either or, this might happen by email or Twitter. I can't remember, but sure. but but to his credit, Tim actually did respond to it and said, "Yeah, I know we've a long way to go, and and we we will get to that, but this is where we're starting." So he didn't just flick it away, and he didn't just ignore it either, which I think is great to see. And if you yeah. want to change something, you measure it. So the, those reports, yeah, Apple published them publicly, but they're more, I think, for Apple's internal use than they are for the public. It's just they're publishing them so that they keep the pressure on themselves. And, and you know, the more the more people – like, everybody loves an Apple story, right? So it doesn't matter whether it's about, a, about you know, removing a, a headphone jack or their stance on diversity. So people are going to write about them. So yeah. that has responsibility associated with it. And I think – if if Apple talk about diversity, more people will learn about it, and it, it it still surprises me, particularly outside of the software industry, that if you talk to people about diversity, it's it's zero on their radar. They really have never heard of it being a problem. They haven't thought about gender balance in their organisation and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, to some extent, I think it's more of a of a hot topic in. In uh, the software industry, but but Apple's voice tends to break outside of the industry. It's a much more of a consumer brand, and um, you know, mainstream press write about them no matter what they do. So I think the more they talk about it, the more they're spreading the good word, if you like. Yeah. Did and did either of you guys watch? There, there's a video doing the rounds on YouTube. It, it's a poorly handheld cam. But nonetheless, it's interesting because it's the speech and then the fireside chat uh, that Tim Cook gave in the University of Edinburgh when they recently made him a doctor there uh, sometime during this month, a few weeks ago now. And some of the questions that were asked about about this kind of stuff, about Apple being involved sort of societally, I won't use the word political because it's not really, it's not party politics, it's issues, which you can argue is called issue politics. But anyway, let's not split hairs. And what Tim said was that Apple would speak up when they had something relevant to say. And he very much stressed that Apple were only going to talk about stuff that was that, that they felt they could contribute on. And so what you're seeing is environmental stuff where they're doing their work, accessibility stuff where they're doing their work, and equality stuff where they're doing their work. And so when you see what Apple do and then you hear Tim describing his philosophy, you can see a really good alignment between what he wants to do and what they're actually doing. It, it was an interesting insight into his thinking on all these things. So that You're right. They're cherry picking what they get involved in. They're not just every cause du jour. They're not speaking up because they're Apple. They're just speaking when they feel, I suppose you could say colloquially, when they have the moral high ground. But that's certainly not how Tim put it. But that's me paraphrasing. Okay. Say, it's on YouTube. The audio quality is pretty poor because it's someone with a phone quite far down the back of the auditorium. 
but the content is actually worth struggling through the terrible audio and video because Tim actually was asked some interesting questions and gave some interesting answers. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll dig it up. Uh, I'll dig it up. I might pop it in the bottom of the show notes, actually, since people might be interested in it. Uh, any other thoughts on this before we move move on to the quick stories? No. Okay. So, as I say, this, this month's news just wouldn't categorize itself. So, normally we only have two or three quick stories and we have, you know, five or six big stories. But the big stories didn't materialize, so we have lots of little stories instead. So, last time we talked a lot about hirings and... F- not firings. Um <laughs> people coming and going to Apple. And at the time, the, the, the narrative was, oh my God, all the talent is leaving. And I was like, yeah, well, maybe it's just the normal ebb and flow. Well, this month, the only story is coming. Uh, so, Timothy Thwerdall, uh, he's the former director and general manager of Amazon Fire TV, is now with Apple TV. So that's that seems like a high profile coming. And no high profile people leaving this month. So I guess not all disaster. Uh Apple have also halted sales of the LG 5K display until LG can fix the sodding thing so that being near a Wi-Fi router won't break them. Uh, th- this whole not selling their own screens doesn't seem to have gone very well for Apple. Um, Dermot, in, in your area, are are there people who would have traditionally been Apple display users? Um, certainly, that's what we've been... We, we've bought a few of them. We've been using... Um, a Samsung 5K unit for the last, uh, no, sorry, 4K unit, mm. um, which we've been buying with the last gen MacBook Pros. That's what we've kind of bought as our standard for the last, uh, the last while. I'm not crazy about them. They're not great. Um, they take a lot of tweaking to get the the contrast and all that sort of stuff right. Um, but but this LG thing seems to have gone disastrously. Like they, you know, these are the ones that were going to sell in 2016, and they started shipping on December yeah. 31. Yeah, I mean, it's just they were obviously not ready. Um, and does that it just hasn't worked out? Really I mean, how hasn't. how can they how can they sell? A, a monitor without having testing tested the shielding on something so straightforward as it a wi- Wi-Fi routers interfere with it. How how can that be? It's obviously yeah, it's rushed. Yeah. yeah, no, it's my hope is that this catastrophe makes Apple kind of think. Do you know something? On second thoughts, maybe we do have something to contribute because Apple's sort of thinking seemed to have been that they didn't have anything to add. Yeah, I'm starting to think. Actually, guys, I think you do have some value to add here. So maybe get mm-hmm. get to it again. I th- I think there's a, there's probably a difficulty here that's hard for other companies to come up to the quality standard, and you know the the quality of um, Apple hardware starts at the box, right? You know the mm. the box is fantastic. The the I've I've often talked about there's a rip tab on an iMac on an iMac box that rips such that it doesn't make it, that it makes a neat tear. Yeah. It's already perforated. Right. So it's taught down to the nth degree. And that comes from having lots and lots of cash and being able to really think through every uh, aspect of it. And, and that's now in their DNA. So the, 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 the same people who decide when a laptop is ready to ship would have been 
the same or have the same standards as the people who would have done the same with the cinema display. Now they say, okay, LG, you're going to do it, and you know, promise us you're going to do a very, very good quality job. And they'll they'll say, well, yeah, we've our own sta- our, our own standard, and it's just not the same. It's yeah. just not a good enough standard, right? So, uh, you know, an LG don't probably as a you know their monitor department probably don't have tons and tons of spare cash to do an Apple cinema display quality product, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, an Apple cinema display, Apple will sell the same cinema display for, for three three years or whatever, which some people say, oh, yeah, but that means it's behind the technology. Yeah, but they put all the effort into engineering it. They then sell it for a couple of years to to make money back on that massive upfront investment. And then they do it again, rather than this rolling cycle of, oh, we've got to have new, got to have new, got to have new, got to have new. And those cinema displays, they last forever, and they are such nice screens. Again, the one that's on my desk um, is probably six or seven years old. Um, it's 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 not a 5K. It's not Retina. Um, I don't know what the resolution is, but it's fantastic. And there isn't a, there isn't a brightness control or a menu system that I have to tweak and set it to cinema mode. It just comes on and looks great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, the the profiles for the various Apple devices are in, or or, or, sorry, the Apple devices contain the proper ICC profile for those cinema displays. So yeah, they they just work. Um, Yeah, because I used to to use Mac Pros in work, and we had cinema displays, and they were such a a joy. Um, But then again, you know, now that I'm an iMac user most of the time, they also effectively are cinema displays, right? And they are, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, we, we, we had a few of the older ones that we – there is a target display, display mode in them. Yep. Um, the current iMacs don't do this, but you can connect from, say, a laptop with a display port cable. And as you be, boot it, hold down some key uh, combination. Target and D, it just, I think. Or sorry, option D, I think, for target display mode. And it, it boots up as a monitor. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, it's like target disk mode, only instead of booting up as an external hard drive, it boots up as a display. It's it's pretty yeah. darn cool. Uh, there's also actually a hotkey, so you can actually have the iMac be fully booted and have something plugged into that port and then do a key combo and switch to becoming a monitor for the other guy. I might do, we've we've got one lying around the office. I might re reuse it as a <laughs> reuse it as a monitor. It depends. Yeah. The, the the feature changed a lot over the life. So Apple have a knowledge base article on exactly which model of iMac supports which features in terms of target display. Sure. But the, the one I have in the, the the iMac I have at work supports this notion of using a hotkey to switch over, and it's it's a damn nice idea. The the, the newer curved ones I don't think do target display at all. The the the, the thinner yeah. ones. Yeah. Yeah. That may come back though when they have you when they have Thunderbolt and USB C and all that kind of stuff in them. May possibly May. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so Apple have made a change to their policy for the third party screen replacement. Um if you get your screen replaced and you have something go wrong with the phone that's not related to the screen replacement, your warranty is no longer considered voided. Obviously, if you get your screen replaced and the replaced screen breaks, Apple will say that your warranty is voided. And if the act of replacing that screen has done damage to your phone in some other way, then that damage is also considered to have voided your warranty. But nonetheless, this is a massive step forward from if you've changed the display, your entire warranty is voided. Good day, good night and good luck. Uh, There is an annoying asterisk in this story. For now, US and Canada only. One would hope this will roll out to everyone. 
Apple have also shown some love to HomeKit. There is now a dedicated mini site on Apple.com showing off what HomeKit can do. Uh, and I, for one, am delighted to see any new TLC coming to HomeKit because I've always thought it had great potential, but I've never thought Apple actually pushed through to drive it home. So, so I like that they're focusing on this. It gives me hope. Taking a while. Isn't it? Yeah. What about you, Dermot? Any any experiences with HomeKit? <laughs> Small amounts, um, mainly just kind of R&D projects. But uh, I, the only thing I'd say about this stuff is I, I think there's a lot of stuff that's gone into the operating system over the last number of years hmm. that doesn't seem to get a huge amount of love. And you don't necessarily know why. But if you think of HealthKit, CareKit, ResearchKit, uh, the CarPlay stuff, um they were launched with, with a fair whack of fanfare and then you hear nothing else about them and HomeKit was somewhat similar. Um they don't go away but you don't you don't hear much about them. You 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 might get one session in WWDC once a year and that's kind of it. So um I guess the only thing I'd say about these things is they a bit like the story we were talking about the Mac Pro is that on their own they don't really make much of a dent in in any bottom line. Um, yeah. If 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 you're making a HomeKit equivalent uh, hardware, obviously you know it's really really important to you. Uh, and maybe you have a different view of the world. By the way, if you're you know you might even have links to Apple or you're getting lots of updates from them. But certainly you know these things tend to be kind of they feel like kind of little silos in Apple that we don't hear much about from time to time. Yeah, that is true. Well, as I say, hopefully hopefully it comes more into its own because I do get the impression that people are taking it. There's certainly more hardware coming out for for Apple Home than there, than there has been recently. Maybe adding it to the latest iOS as, as an always present card, maybe that's helped a lot. I don't know. Anyway, uh, ooh, sugar, lost my place in my own show notes. I hate when I do that. Um, Apple's new campus has got a name. It is not Apple Campus 2. It is not the spaceship. It is not the Starship Enterprise. It is Apple Park. And probably not a massive surprise, but the large auditorium at the center of the campus also has a name. It is the Steve Jobs Theatre. And employees will start moving in in April this year. So just a few weeks away. And if you're wondering what it looks like, I have a link in the show notes to the latest drone footage of the building work in progress. Um, there's one guy who's been flying over it once a month, every month. And I've been watching those videos for months and months now. And it's really fun to to watch that campus develop. And it's it's starting to look darn close to ready now. It's very exciting. So that, that link is in the show notes. Uh, we should also mention somewhat sad day. It does seem to be, I think we mentioned a few a few shows ago, that there doesn't seem to be... A smartwatch market, there seems to be an Apple Watch market, and that's sort of bearing out a little bit more because Jawbone have decided to call it a day on fitness tracking, and they're just packing it in on that whole product line. So that there are not many players standing, but Apple still seems to do well in it. And then the yeah. very last thing... To, oh, actually, did someone want to chime in on that? No, no, go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, the last thing is make a note in your diary, especially you, Dermot. Although I imagine that note went into your diary some time ago. Uh, <laughs> WWC, WWDC 2017 will be from June 5th to June 9th. And rather surprisingly, it will be in San Jose as opposed to in Moscone in San Francisco. Uh, are you going, Dermot? Um, the jury's out right now on whether I'm going. I think we will apply for tickets. Um, so being 
perfectly honest, the the, the change in foreign policy has me um, concerned. It, it, yeah, it just feels less welcoming, if you know what I mean. Uh, I know exactly as, what you mean. Uh, and and that it, that's playing on my mind a little bit, but there's a couple of things that make me really want to go this year. Um, first of all, is, I've never been to San Jose, right? So mm. I think that's really, really interesting. And the other thing is that we have noticed is it's cheaper to fly to and it's cheaper to stay in, right? So San Francisco right. is very, very expensive, right? Yeah. But when you tie that with it's far closer to Cupertino mm-hmm. and I really wonder if they're going to have the bash in the in, in Apple Park, I suspect they might. That's plausible. Hate, yeah. I'd hate to miss the very first time that happened. That's a good point, actually. If their campus is due to open to staff in April and they're going to be so close by with this big conference, how are they not going to show off that campus? And particularly with not everybody moved in, the the, the theory goes that maybe not all the secret stuff will be there yet. So. <laughs> but they have that special R&D wing, right? So the uber secret stuff is already secreted away in an extra special building. So they can let you into the visitor center and they can let you in to the various semi-public bits without you going anywhere near the uber secret entirely separate building. So, I mean, they've thought about it pretty well anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like the the... You know, the Steve Jobs Theatre, depending on the size of it, you could probably do something there. But I suspect – so to to put in context, the, the, the WWDC bash is held on the Thursday night every year. Mm-hmm. And typically um, for the last number of years when, when WWDC was in Moscone, it was held in the Yerba Buena Gardens, which is just across the road from Moscone. Uh, but it's an outdoor – it's it's an outdoor park that they managed to secure because you need you need your your wristband and so on to get in and your badge to get in, but they do manage to do that. Um, last year they moved that to the Bill Graham Theatre, which is kind of um, a bit further down uh, downtown in San Francisco. But it strikes me is they're going to have to have somewhere in San Jose. They're not going to bus you know three thousand people up to San Francisco. Um, it's got to be in the in Apple Park. Yeah, makes sense. To so. Me. Yeah. Um, if they do that, I, um, I think that's quite a compelling reason to to get to go. As as an Apple nerd, I think it's a compelling reason. I was really glad to see they're going to that they're going that the uh, new campus is going to contain a a cafe and apparently a real Apple store. So there's going to be some reason for those of us who love Apple to go there and check it out. I think. Other than the fact that we just want to see, you know, the giant big circly goodness in the flesh. Yeah. But at least there's some place there we can go and and eat and shop and do some things while we're there. Yeah. yeah so the the, the current um, the current an infinite loop at the moment there is an Apple shop and you don't have to get uh, you don't have to pass security to get into it. So right. there the, there is that. However, the canteen Cafe Max you you have to be escorted into. So that that, that is on premises if you like. But it sounds like in Apple Park you're you're not going to need that. It's actually gonna be that the, the restaurant and shop will be open to the public. Yeah. Cool. Okay, uh, well, that brings us to the end of our news for the month of February. Uh, okay, I guess there's only 28 days. Maybe that's why there was less news. Uh, guys, thank you very much for giving freely of your time and uh, sharing your thoughts and expertise. Um, in reverse order, Dermot, do you want to remind the listeners where they can find more about you and, and anything else you want to plug? Um, well, the the company is Tapadu. We develop iPhone and Android apps. Um 
Ul was the conference I was involved in, and I would recommend if you're thinking it's on in April. So um, if it's something that would be interest, I recommend people to go. Even though I'm not involved this year, I would still recommend it. Um, and I'm available on Twitter as DermDaily, D-E-R-M-D-A-L-Y. Excellent. Thank you very much. Robert, what would you like to plug? Well, I do a podcast along with my co-host, Allison Hartley, called the Tech Doctor Podcast, which is all about Apple accessibility. It's at dr-carter.com. And I'm on Twitter at Robert underscore Carter. And thanks for having me again, Bart. I enjoyed it. Always a pleasure. Um, You will find detailed show notes with links to all the stories that informed our discussion over at lets-talk.ie. While you're there, you'll notice three large blue buttons under the heading support the show. Uh, Please consider supporting the show. This is entirely a not-for-profit sort of operation. Basically, what I'm hoping to do is cover my costs so that I can podcast without it costing me money, as opposed to as a profession. Um, I already have a profession. I don't need another one. Um, so there is a Patreon button, which is the single most effective way of supporting the show. You pledge a small a small dollar donation per show that comes out. There will be exactly two every month, one photography, one Mac. So if you'd like to give $2 a month, pledge one. If you'd like to give $5 a month, pledge 250 You get the idea. Um, also, a big thank you to everyone who currently supports the show on Patreon. You guys really make a difference. Uh, I know on the 5th of every month, the Patreon money comes in, and then I have my various bills to pay, and I take that money, and I throw it towards the other money, and they're getting very close to balancing each other out, which is a lovely place to be. So I really appreciate everything you guys do, because it it makes such a big difference. Then there's a plain forward uh, PayPal button. Everyone knows what that does. And then there is a Zazzle store where you can buy Let's Talk merchandise, which means I get a small uh, commission from uh, Zazzle for you buying the thing. You get a thing, which is always nice to have a thing. And, of course, that thing has the podcast logo on it, so you also get to become a walking billboard for the show, which is always good. And, of course, you can support the show in many equally valuable ways that don't involve any sort of money whatsoever. Tell your friends, tweet about it, blog about it, review us on iTunes, all that stuff. It all helps, it all counts, and it is all very much appreciated. Anyway, you'll find the show notes at lets-talk.ie. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. You can find me at bartb.ie. Until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Amazon, Google, Apple, Android, iOS, Alexa, Siri, technology, sci-fi, video games, tablets, computers, flash drives, toys, weather, and general silliness. Geekiest show ever. Every week on the MyMac Podcasting Network. 